in many different ways, God is always calling us forward in our following of Jesus. I mean, and to me, I think that's a, an important concept. God is always calling us forward. Right? I mean, there is, we are always to be giving all diligence to add to our faith, according to Second Peter. There is always more to learn regarding Scripture. None of us are fully obeying everything we already know from Scripture. We are to always be stirring up the gift of God that has been placed within us. We are to make disciples of all nations. And we are to make disciples of all nations until all nations are disciples of Jesus. We are to be changed from glory to glory until we are like Jesus. We are to continually be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led so we can keep in step with the Spirit, constantly bear the fruit of the Spirit, and are constantly empowered by the Spirit. And I could go on and on, but you get the idea. From the moment we're saved, God begins to call us forward in following Jesus. And God calls us forward following Jesus until the day He calls us home to be with Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, then God is in some way calling you forward to follow Jesus in a new way. And I think, by and large, nearly every genuine disciple of Jesus wants to move forward following Jesus in the way God is calling them to do. I mean, who among us doesn't want to be more like Jesus? Who among us doesn't want to know Scripture better? Who among us doesn't want to be more sensitive and more surrendered and more empowered by the Holy Spirit? Who among us doesn't want God to work powerfully in us and through us and for us to extend His kingdom in Guyman and Hooker, Goodwill, Texoma and beyond? Who among us doesn't want more than we're currently experiencing from our Christian life? But what happens when we try to move forward, but we can't move forward? What happens when we try to go forward, but we fail to move forward? What do we do when we think we're supposed to go this way and do that, and, and it blows up and we can't go that way, and we can't do that? I think typically we have one of two choices we can do. First, we can conclude, contrary to Scripture, God is not actually calling us forward any longer, or... We can seek God to find out why we aren't moving forward in the ways we're supposed to move forward. In Joshua chapter 7, Israel attempts to move forward following God. They go to take the small town of Ai and in the process they lose. And they are unable to go forward. And they don't know what to do from there. Their example will teach us what we need to do. When we attempt to move forward, we fail. And we have to find out what's holding us back. So open your Bible to Joshua 7, if you haven't already. Uh, page 171 in your pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. We will, through the course of the message, look at all the chapter. But we're just going to read the first six verses this morning. But the children of Israel committed a trespass and the accursed thing. For Achid, the son of Carmi, 
the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, in the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are so few. But there went up thither about of the people about three thousand, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote them, about thirty, thirty and six men, for they chased them from before the gate, even unto Shabaram, and smote them in the going down, Wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes, fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until eventide. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their head. And then we'll start the first part of verse 7. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou brought this people over the Jordan to deliver into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content to dwell on the other side of the Jordan. Title of the message is when we can't move forward. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for the opportunity we have today to gather here and to study your word, to try to learn and grow and be who you want us to be. Father, today we are desperately in need of your Holy Spirit to help us to lay aside the cares of life, to, to work in our lives and take this word and, and, and sink it deep down. Father, there's going to be probably something within us that would push back against doing what you've said and taking this and apply it to our lives. There's justifications why we aren't moving forward, justifications why we aren't working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And Lord, all those need to die. They just need to die right now so that your word can sink into our heart and it can bear fruit. So send your spirit to come and, and let him plow up the hard, fallow ground of our hearts so the word can sink deep in and bring forth good fruit for your glory. Let your Holy Spirit take the word and use it like a sword to convict us deeply so we could be brought to a place of deep and abiding repentance and turn to Jesus. Let your Holy Spirit empower the word to be a hammer, to break down any strongholds we have erected in our minds so that our every thought could be brought captive to the obedience to Christ. And let your Holy Spirit empower the word to be a fire, to burn away the junk and the dross from our lives. That we could be pure vessels, fully devoted to doing your will. Guide us today. Let us be active listeners. Let us be people who are doers of the word and not hearers only. Change us and challenge us and make us to be who you want us to be. Let us hear you calling us forward and let us move out with a purpose to do your will. Fill me this morning with your spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me not to be a hindrance in any way to what you want done. We ask in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Now Joshua 7 begins with an ominous but. Suddenly, we're presented with a series of failures which are in stark contrast to everything we've seen in the previous six chapters. Everything leading up to this has all been about victory. They were at the Jordan River and God miraculously parted and they crossed over. They circumcised themselves and God protected them. They marched around the walls of Jericho and the walls fell down and they conquered. But now, but now, they're faced with a failure, a defeat. The thrill of the victory at Jericho has been replaced by the agony of defeat at Ai. Joshua sent out spies to Ai who return and say it's a small town. Not worthy of all of our people to go. We'll just send up a few thousand troops 
And we'll take it and then we'll move on to the big stuff. Now they didn't seek God. And they didn't ask God what they ought to do. And they moved out and they lost the battle. And 36 men were killed in the process. Now, 36 men doesn't seem significant in an army that's over 3,000 strong. But it is significant because it's the only recorded defeat in Israel. And unless, or in Joshua. And unless I'm mistaken, those are the only 36 soldiers who die in any battle they're going to face throughout the rest of the book of Joshua. They're supposed to go forward and they fail. The soldiers come back and they said, Ai's next. This is forward is through Ai. We went to Ai. We we lost the battle. We had to flee before them. Thirty-six men are dead. The soldiers are discouraged. Joshua is discouraged. The leaders of the nation are discouraged. Joshua tears his clothes as a sign of deep mourning. He falls on his face, puts dust on his head, and begins to cry out to the Lord. The conquering of the promised land has only begun. and There's already defeat. They've just begun to move forward. And now they're stopped cold and they are unable to move forward. Have you ever felt like Joshua and the people? You are sure... This was the way forward. This was what God called you to do. What God was leading you to do. And as you moved out to do it, you fell. You failed. It was defeat instead of victory. And so you were discouraged. You felt hopeless. Unable to move forward. What, what are we going to do? That's the way forward. I don't know anything else I can do. What do we do in this moment? What do we do? When we feel defeated, discouraged, hopeless, and unable to move forward. If we're going to follow the example of Joshua 7, we lament, pray, repent, and obey. That's how we move forward. That's how we move forward when we're unable to move forward. We lament. They cried. They tore their clothes. They were sorry they weren't able to move forward. Now keep in mind, they don't know what we know. They don't know their sin in the camp. They don't know why they can't move forward. But they know they're supposed to. And this defeat isn't what was supposed to happen. They regret their inability to move forward. They sorrow over it. Do we feel sorrow over our inability to move forward? We should. If God is truly always calling us forward, and He is, then this inability to move forward in the way God is calling us should bring deep sorrow into our hearts. Pray. They cry out to God. What's going on? Why have we lost? We don't understand. It's what we have to do. We lament, we regret, we mourn the loss, the inability to move forward. But then we cry out to God. God, as far as I know, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is the direction I feel you're leading me. What is going on? What is wrong? We repent. God is going to tell them what's going on and what the problem is and how they need to change their thinking and their attitude and their actions to do what needs to be done. That's what we have to do. God will tell us. Right? Because there is a reason we're not able to move forward. And, and almost certainly, it's our fault. Almost certainly, there is something we're not doing right. 
and we seek the Lord and he will say, you thinking this way, but you need to think that way. You're doing this, but you need to be doing that instead. And then we obey. They did all the things God told them to do. Then they were able to move out and they were able to win. At the end, that's what we have to do. We have to obey God. So what do we do when we can't move forward following Jesus? We lament, pray, repent, and obey. Three principles in order for us to lament, pray, repent, and obey. We cry out to God. But Joshua does not know what we know from verse 1. He has no idea why they're defeated. And he does the only thing he knows how to do. He cries out to God. Joshua's prayer, verse 7, is pretty raw. Why have you brought this people over the Jordan to deliver us in the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God, we just died on the other side of the Jordan. I mean, that's, I mean, that's pretty bold, right? It's like, we're doing what you've told us to do, God. To the best of my ability, I am leading them the way you want me to lead them. You've brought us over here and now we have failed. We have died. We have lost this battle. And now everybody's going to hear about it. And they're going to be emboldened to fight against us. It's just going to make it that much harder for us to win, take the land, because they've heard they lost at AI. AI. They lost at the most potent town in the promised land. Man, they're, they're clearly not powerful warriors. The victory at Jericho was a fluke. It cries out about the situation. And that's the example for us to follow. When we try to move forward and moving forward fails, our first response needs to be to cry out to God and ask Him what's going on. Why this failure is there? Why can't we move forward? What is holding us back? Because again, Joshua does not know about Achan. Joshua has no idea what Achan is to, has done. God is going to tell him. God is going to show him. But in order for God to show him, Joshua has to cry out to God. In order for us to find out what's holding us back, we have to cry out to God. For He's the only one who knows. I mean, think about it. If Joshua knew what the issue was, he wouldn't have sent them to Ai to begin with. He would have dealt with it right away. But he didn't know. His knowledge of the situation was limited. As far as he knew... Everybody did exactly what they were supposed to do. He had no clue Achan had tanked the nation at this point. So he says, I don't know anything. I better cry out to God. It's the same with us. If our intellect, if our abilities could cause us to move forward, we wouldn't have failed. It wouldn't have not happened. We wouldn't be in that place where we feel discouraged and hopeless and unable to move forward. We need something more than ourselves. We need to cry out to God. And as we cry out to God to find out what's going on, we need to pray prayers like this. Search my heart. You know, our, our culture tells us to trust your heart, to follow your heart. But the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. The Bible says he who follows his heart is a fool. The Bible says God, though, God can search the heart. Our hearts are idle factories. 
our hearts are masters at justifying our sin that may be tanking our ability to move forward. What is holding us back may well be something we've built up in our heart that only God can show us and say, this is the problem. God, search my heart. Show me what's going on. Or test my thoughts. We need God to to critically examine our minds and see if the way we think is consistent with what's revealed in Scripture. We need this because once Satan seeks to deceive us, the Bible says, we need God to detest or detest our thoughts because we can deceive ourselves. What happens if we hear the word but don't obey the word? What do we do in the process? We deceive ourselves. We need God to test our thoughts because deception has terrible consequences, as we see in this book. God, is my thinking right? Am I thinking the way you want me to think? Are are the thoughts I have, are they accurate? Are they true? Is it consistent with your word, your will, and your want for my life? We need to pray, God, convict me deeply. How do we feel about the stuff in our heart that's not okay with God? How do we feel about the thoughts we think that are not okay with God? You know, the sad reality is many people simply don't care. They just, yes, what I've got in my heart is not consistent with God. It's not right. The way I think, I, I know what the Bible says and I know the way I think is different, but, but I just don't care. I think I'm right. The reality is, as long as we don't care, we will never be able to move forward following Jesus. And we need God, therefore, to convict us deeply. We need God to break our hearts. We need God to bring us to the place that we would cry out as they did on the day of Pentecost. What must I do? We need to be like a people that talks about in Isaiah that tremble under the weight of God's word. If we want to be a people who hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, on the last day, then we need to live to please God each and every day. And so we need Him to convict us of all the stuff in our lives that is not right. And then lead me completely. Again, we don't know the way forward. Our attempts forward failed. God knows the way. God knows how to move forward. So we say, God, lead me. You show me where to go and what to do. How to lay this aside. How to think the way I ought to think. How to break down the stronghold in my heart. You show me. I'll do it. I'll follow you no matter what. God is calling every disciple of Jesus to move forward following Jesus. And often, He wants us to move forward following Jesus more than we want to move forward following Jesus. So He'll show us. He'll reveal to us the stuff that's holding back. But, He waits. Until we seek Him. God told Joshua nothing. I mean, how many days was it from the battle of Jericho to the battle of Ai? We don't know. But I I could say probably a couple of days. I mean, I don't think they were close enough that they won the battle and then immediately ran over. They marched, they spied, they planned, they sinned. What if they had prayed? I mean, what if Joshua and the people said, wait, okay, 2,000, that's probably not a bad day, but let's just see what God has to say. You think God would have been like, no, go ahead. 
Go ahead. No, God would have said, oh, you can't. You're sinning again. You got a dude and stole stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight against you if you go. God waited for them to say, we need you, God. We don't know the way. We don't know what to do. But as they got puffed up, feeling they could do it, they were enough. They moved out without seeking God, and they found they were unable to move forward. They failed in the process. We must cry out to God if we're going to lament, pray, repent, and obey so we can resume moving forward to follow Jesus. Secondly, we have to listen to God. Now, God didn't leave Joshua hanging. This is why I believe that God would have answered it before now. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou upon thy face? Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. They have taken of the accursed thing, and have stolen and disassembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore, except you destroy the accursed thing from among you. Here's the problem. Somebody in your midst stole something. Now, if you remember from last week, Joshua chapter 6, it tells us that everything in Jericho was devoted to God for destruction. And it was devoted to God for destruction in such a way that if anyone took the stuff that was devoted to God for destruction, they themselves would become devoted to God for destruction. Right? So they were not to keep anything for themselves. They were to give everything to God or destroy it all. Those were the only two things that were supposed to happen. And in a way, Jericho is a tithe. Right? Because they are going to get plundered. As they conquer the promised land, they're going to get houses and lands and gold and silver and clothes. And all the stuff of the land is going to be theirs everywhere except Jericho. Jericho is the first fruits of the land. They are to give that to God, trusting He will give them more later. And when they don't, there will be terrible consequences. Now, everyone got the memo. Joshua did not fail to pass it down along among the people. Everyone understood this was what was supposed to happen. But not everyone obeyed God. Achan saw and took and everyone was suffering because of one person right now. Now, this isn't part of the message, but I just want to say as a quick aside. The idea that your sin or my sin only affects me, it's not in the Bible. Achan's sin. And now 36 men are dead because of Achan's sin. Achan's sin. And now 36 wives are without husbands. 36 children are without dads. The entire nation is consecrated to God for destruction. And God will not only not fight for them, He will actively fight against them because of Achan's sin. Your sin affects everyone in your life. My sin affects everyone in my life. Now, as I said, that's not part of my sermon, so I'm reclaiming my time. Now, God told them what was wrong, and He told them that if they didn't deal with it, He was going to fight against them from that moment on. Think about that. That's serious. They can't go forward. No matter which direction they go, 
God is going to fight against them. They will lose every battle they fight from now on if they do not deal with Achan and his sin as God tells them to do it. Because God will not help them and He will actively fight against them. God told them what was wrong and why they couldn't move forward. And He'll tell you and I as well. There is never a problem of God being unable to tell us what's holding us back. There is never a problem of God being able to say, this is the issue, here's how you deal with it. The issue, the problem is always, always our unwillingness to listen. Look what the Bible says. He is our God, we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation, the day of temptation in the wilderness. Pictures God as our shepherd. So much there, we don't have time to mention. But just a few quick points. First, God as our shepherd means God knows what's going on in our lives. The shepherd knew everything about the sheep. God knows everything that's going on in our lives. He knows about the stuff we post on social media. He knows about the stuff we hide that we try to keep secret from everyone else. And God knows what is holding us back, keeping us from being able to move forward. Second... God as our shepherd means He cares about what's going on in our lives. He cares about every detail of our life. Why He invites us to cast our cares upon Him. Not only does He care about us, He wants what is best for us. He wants us to move forward following Jesus because He knows that's what's best. So He cares about what's holding us back. He cares about our inability to move forward. He cares and He wants us to move forward. Third, God as our shepherd means He will lead us. The shepherd led the sheep. He will lead us in the way we ought to go. He will lead us to move forward following Jesus. And He will lead us on how to deal with what is holding us back from being able to move forward. The problem comes in how we respond to God's leading. Right? Today, if you hear His voice, harden not your heart. Now, the if isn't so much like today if God decides to speak and lead you. It's not the way. Here doesn't mean hear like you hear the noise. It means hear like you're going to hearken unto it. Today if you will hearken unto the voice of God. Today if you will follow the voice of God. Then harden not your heart as in the day of provocation. See all throughout the Old Testament. God led Israel. Particularly in the wilderness. Led them with a pillar of fire by day. A pillar of cloud or pillar of fire by night, pillar of cloud by day. And he told them where to go and when to do it and all of these things. The only problem, it was whether or not they would hearken unto the voice of God. Sometimes God would say, go here and do this. And they would say, yes, Lord. And they would go there and they would do that. And all would be well. And then sometimes God would say, go here and do that. And they would say, mm, I don't want to. And they would harden their hearts against God, against His voice, against His will and His word for their life. And it's the same with us. God will speak to us. His Spirit will show us what is wrong, what is holding us back. And in that moment, we have a choice to make. Will we hearken unto the voice of our God? And will we move forward doing what He's leading us to do? Or will we harden our hearts as we resist and reject what God is saying? Now make no mistake. Every time God tries to speak to us and lead us, and we say, no, I'm not going that way. 
we harden our hearts a little bit each and every time. Every time we surrender and we go the way God would have us to go, our hearts stay soft and moldable. And, and I believe, and I don't know if I can necessarily prove this from Scripture, so this may be Rossology rather than theology, and you're free to disagree with me. My dad says everybody's got a right to be wrong, even you. Um, I think the more we hearken, the more the better able we are to hear, the more sensitive we are to His voice. Right? I mean, you think about like a parent with a newborn. You can have a nursery with four or five babies crying. And a mama can know the difference between their baby and the other babies. Why? Their hearts are tender towards that young They listen carefully and they can distinguish one cry from another cry. But those that don't have a baby, they can't. It just sounds like a bunch of noise. It needs to stop when we listen to God, we get a, an ear that is tuned in to Him. And so God doesn't have to shout as loud. He can whisper. Or as it says in Psalm 32 that I read at the start of the service, He guides us with His eye. Don't you want to be so sensitive to the voice of the Lord that He doesn't have to shout? He doesn't have to put a bit in our mouth and shake us and make us go, but He can just go, That's the way we can be. If we will hearken unto His voice, our hearts stay tender, our ears stay attuned, and we are better able to move forward following Him. But, every time God says, go this way, and we say, I don't want to go that way, our hearts harden. It gets a little more difficult to hear the voice of God, a little more harder towards the things of God. We care less and less and less about them. Resisting God's voice always hardens our hearts towards God and His voice. Hearkening to the voice of God always softens our heart towards God and toward His voice. We must listen to God if we are going to lament, pray, repent, and obey so we can resume moving forward following Jesus. And then finally, we have to trust and obey God. Cry out to God. Listen to God. Trust and obey God. So God... Tells them what to do. Verse 13. The people are to... We're just going to survey the rest of the chapter here. They're going to... The people are going to sanctify themselves. They're going to consecrate themselves. Get up in the morning. And Joshua's going to tell them, we, we will not be able to stand before our enemies until we deal with the problem of sin in the camp. And here's what we're going to do. All the tribes are going to walk before Joshua. And God's going to say, it's that tribe. And the other tribes are going to stand in the audience. And then all the families of that tribe are going to walk before Joshua. And God's going to say it's that family. And all the rest of the family is going to stand in the audience. And then all the members of that family are going to stand, walk before Joshua. And God's going to say it is that man. And they're going to take that man. They're going to deal with him according to the way God has told him to do it. Now, Joshua has a, he has a choice. He can listen to God, trust God, and do it the way God wants him to do. Or he can try to figure it out himself. And in so doing, he is going to miss what needs to be done and be live in perpetual defeat and never be able to move forward. Now, here's the reason I say that's a choice. God's plan to have a find out about what's holding them back, it's not efficient, is it? 
I mean, God knew it was Achan. God already knew. I mean, he even said the guy hid the stuff among his stuff. God knew where his stuff has been hidden. So why didn't God just say, it's Achan, go get him and kill him? He didn't. Instead, he has this big, long, and I'm going to say drawn out. Don't you? I mean, think about it. There are thousands of people in the nation and every tribe is going to walk by until God picks out the tribe. And then every family of that tribe is going to walk by until God picks the family. And then every person in that family is going to walk by until God picks the person. God could have had it over in five minutes. It's Achan, you kill him, now we go back to Ai. But he doesn't. He chooses this process that I, I have to believe would have taken all day long. And yet Joshua doesn't hesitate once again. He does exactly what God says to do. Tribes march before him. It's Judah. The families of Judah walk by. It's the Zerites. The Zerites walk by. God picks the family of Zabdi. And then out of that family, Achan is taken. Joshua says, Achan, my son, in verse 19, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him. Tell me what you've done. Achan confesses. He stole a pretty garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold, and he buried it under his tent. And here's how they were have to take care of it. But So they went and got it. They brought it back. And Joshua, I think this is kind of, I don't know if funny is the right word, right? But when Joshua confronts him, he says, My son, give my praise and glory to the Lord and tell us what you've done. They bring it back. Joshua's like, Why have you troubled us? Now we're going to trouble you. And then they stone him, and then they burn him with fire, and then they pile stones on top of him. All in all, pretty severe for violating what God has done. And what they did to kill this man, to punish him, punish his family. His, his whole family died. Even their animals. So bad that it marked that territory forever. And it became known as the Valley of Acre, which means the Valley of Trouble. See, this is really where the rubber meets the road. And this is where many people who want to move forward fall short. They don't have a problem crying out to God may not have a problem listening to God and you know, asking God those things that I mentioned. They may falter a bit at trusting God has this plan and it may be long and drawn out, but that's the right way. But then God says, here's what you do. Here is what's holding you back. Cut it off and let it go. Break off this relationship. Get out of this hobby. Stop doing this thing. Go away from this place. Change your life here and do that. And it's just a bridge too far. I, I just am not going to take that step of obedience and do what God says to do. Joshua could have said, Wow, stoning him and his family and his animals burning them with fire, piling a heap of stones up on top of them. Come on, God, we'll just, oh, we'll all take turns and punch them in the head a few times and we'll move on. 
He could have done all kinds of things. But without doing exactly what God said, the way God said it, they would have lived in perpetual defeat, but unable to go forward. And they would have lost every battle from this moment on until they were wiped out. It's true for us as well. When God says, this is what you do to move forward, this is what you do to lay aside the hindrance and move forward, until we lay aside that hindrance and we move forward, we will live in perpetual defeat. And we will never be able to move forward because not only are we not strong enough to move forward, but God will actively resist us in making the progress we want to make as He did with them. So when we talk about trust and obey God. There are three truths we need to know. God is always right. God's ways are not our ways, the Bible says. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher than ours. God's plan to call the people by the way He did was the right plan, the right way to go. Why was it the right way? Because it was God's way. Why did God do it that way? I don't know. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. God's plan for you to move forward when you've been unable to move forward. It may not make sense to you. It may not seem right. But there will never come a time in your life where you know more than God does. There will never come a time in your right where your way is the right way and God's way is the wrong way. Never. You will never be smarter than God. Your ways will never be higher than God. And until we can accept God's way is always right, we will never be able to move forward. Secondly, we've got to understand there are always consequences for disobedience. Achan disobeyed, 36 people died, the nation was accursed and devoted to God for destruction, and they would remain that way until Achan was killed. Achan sinned and his family died because of his sin. Because God brought that consequence into their lives. If we choose not to obey God, there will be consequences for our disobedience. There is no such thing as ignoring God and moving on and our life going on fine. At the very least, we will not be able to move forward following God while we are living in disobedience to God. And it is also very likely we will actively find God working against us in our lives. Now we see that all throughout Scripture. I mean, all throughout Scripture we see pictures of God actively working against a disobedient people. We we were in Daniel chapter 1 in our Sunday school lesson. God sent the Babylonians to conquer Jerusalem. We were in Haggai chapter 1 last week. And God made it so that no matter how much money they made, it was never enough. God made it so that no matter how much they ate, they were never satisfied. How much they drank, they were never filled. No matter how much they clothed themselves, they were never worn. God made their crops fail. So they would be in desperate need of Him to do something. Gosh, in the book of Acts, God actively killed a husband and a wife. Who lied about how much money they gave. And then God could just easily remove his hand of protection from our life. And let us reap what we've sown. 
There is no such thing as ignoring God and our life being fine. We do not ignore God and disobey God and move forward with God at the same time. There are always consequences for our disobedience. And those consequences are at the very least temporal suffering and potentially eternal damnation. God is not one to be trifled with. God is not an earthly leader we can ignore or vote out. He is the creator, sustainer, and redeemer, and the only one in existence there is like that. And when we ignore who He is and what He has said and what He offers us, we endanger our lives here and our souls in eternity. And then we have to be ruthless. God told Joshua to kill Achan and his family. And that's rough stuff. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine having to be a part of something like that. Watching it. I mean, think about it. Some of those people in a nation that size, probably some of them had no idea who Achan was. Maybe seen him in the march around Jericho, but they didn't know him. Some of those people were his friends. May have been his brother. They knew him. And yet God said, stone him, stone his family, kill his stuff, burn their bodies with fire, pile up rocks on top of it that will be a perpetual reminder there are consequences for disobeying God. When God tells us what to do to remove from our lives the hindrance... It brings us to a place of a choice. Are we going to do what God says? Or are we going to hold on to what's holding us back? Are we going to let go of what God says to let go of so we can move forward again following Jesus and live in victory? Or are we going to hold on to it? You know, the main difference between a believer and an unbeliever when it comes to sin It's when an unbeliever is convicted of their sin, they take the side of their sin over God. When an unbeliever is convicted of their sin, they begin to justify their sin. They begin to explain why their sin is okay, why the culture is different, the world is different. Why they have a special deal with God and it's okay. They take the side of their sin against God, declaring they do not actually know God at all. A believer, on the other hand, when convicted about their sin, they take the side of God over their sin. Yes, my sin is my fault. Yes, my sin is serious. Yes, I have sinned against a holy God. The unbeliever holds on to their sin and lets go of God. The believer lets go of their sin and holds on to God. Whose side are you going to take when God shows you what you need to do so you can begin to move forward again following Jesus and live a life of victory? Will you take the side of the hindrance and explain why it's okay, why it's not holding you back, why it's not slowing you down, why it's not a weight, why it's not a sin, why it's not a problem. If so, you doom yourself to perpetual defeat and the inability to move forward. Or will you take the side of God and say, yes, you're right, Lord. This is the hindrance. This is what's holding me back. And I will let it go. And I will cut it out of my life. So that I can live in victory. And I can move forward following Jesus. But here's the thing. It's easy to say I'm going to choose God. 
take God's side against this hindrance. But what God is going to call us to do is going to be rough. Something is a hindrance because we like it. Spinach is not your hindrance. Hominy is not your hindrance. There is something you like, something I like that is holding us back. And so God is going to say, let go of this thing you like, this relationship you enjoy, this hobby you're a part of, this sin that you've justified. Let that go. And in that moment, we must be as ruthless with our hindrance as Joshua was with Achan. That is not the time for mercy. That is not the time to be soft and gentle. That is the time to rise up in the strength of the Lord, put on the armor of God and cut it away and let it die away from us. And if we are not willing to do that, we will live in perpetual defeat and we will never be able to move forward following Jesus. We must trust God and we must obey God. If we're going to lament, pray, repent and obey So we can resume moving forward following Jesus. Now this can seem like a really heavy passage. And it is. But it's also a hopeful passage. You think, well how is it hopeful? We just ended with cutting things off and Achan dying. Verse 26, it calls it the Valley of Acre. It was so marred by what happened there. The name of the valley changed. Valley of Trouble. Scripture mentions the valley of trouble at least one other time. And I'll give her vineyards from Vince. In the valley of Acre for a door of hope. God promises He can make a door of hope even in the valley of trouble. Thanks to Jesus and what He has done for us on the cross, there is a door of hope in our valley of trouble. I heard someone say once, if God leads you to it, God will lead you through it. But if you lead yourself to it, you've got to get yourself out of it. I am thankful today to tell you that is a lie. If God leads you to it, God will absolutely lead you through it. If you through sin and disobedience and poor choices lead yourself to the valley of trouble, then rejoice. There is a great God and a wonderful Savior that has died in your place and He will lead you. To the valley of hope. He will lead you out of the valley of trouble. And through a door of hope. There is no valley so deep. Jesus cannot give us hope. There is no defeat so thorough. Jesus cannot give us victory. There is no darkness. No night so dark. Jesus cannot give us light. Today regardless of where you are. Or what you've done. Or why you're in the valley of trouble. And unable to move forward. There is a door of hope open to you. Through Jesus. And if you will flee to Jesus and go through the door of hope and grab onto the cross of Christ, God will fight against your enemies. He will give you victory over what's holding you back. He will enable you to cut off your hindrance and allow you to move forward following Jesus. Today, if you're in the valley of trouble and you're unable to move forward, there is a way out. You lament, you pray, You repent, you obey, and you run to Jesus. You run through that door of hope to Jesus, and you will begin to be able to follow Him again. Go to Jesus. Cry out to Him. 
What is my hindrance? What's holding me back? Give me that door of hope, O Lord, and I will run through it in Your name. Stand.